This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Jeff DeGraff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I am thrilled you're here because we're going to talk about creativity and innovation, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite companies in the whole world. But before we do that, who is Jeff DeGraff and what do you do on this planet? Well, I'm, uh, I guess what most people know me as, is I'm a professor at the University of Michigan, the Ross School of Business, where I've been there for 30 some years. Before that, I was one of the executives that uh, took this very small $20 million pizza company to billions of dollars, uh, became Domino's Pizza, sold it to Mitt Romney and Bain Capital. And before that, I was uh, a very young PhD who had been a very terrible high school student. So I think most of the people who knew me back then couldn't <laughs> believe that I ended up being this person. In fact, the person who doesn't believe it the most is me. I still have to, you know, tell myself every morning that uh, I have to, you know, pretend to be this person. Isn't it amazing? When I was in high school and college, university for the rest of the, the world, I hated doing oral reports. Now, as evident from my podcast and me speaking, you can't get me to shut up. I don't know when that, that switch flipped, but I'm so glad it did. <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. At one moment, you sort of, it, I think it, everybody's life, at some moment you get it. And I think the hardest thing is when you get what your real gift is. You know, people often say, you know, I get all these students who say, let me tell you what I want to do. And I'll, and I tell them, I don't care what you want to do, which sounds terrible. But then I'll say, but I care deeply what you're designed to do. Ah. Tell me about, you know, what your talents are, your experiences are. Tell me what you're designed to do. And then, of course, we can have a very good discussion. I can be helpful. I love that because I had a, I had my, our dentist, our family dentist, a prime example of this. He went to mechanical engineering college, graduated with honors, and he got his degree. And he says, I don't want to be a I don't want to be a mechanical engineer. And he went back to school as a dentist because he felt that was his calling. Now, that's a really expensive lesson and a lot of time, <laughs> but at least he eventually got there. A lot of people, I, I I know you probably know some of them, they have a good job, good pay, good good perks, but they hate their job. It could be to hate the boss, the commute, the whatever it is. And I'm like, you get one life. Why are you doing stuff you don't like to do? I see these people all the time, but I see them in a positive way. We have a very uh, well-known executive MBA program, and you'll get a lot of these people coming back in their 40s where they have this epiphany. And what I love about them is they're really passionate about what they're going to do, right? They're, they're all in. And, you know, you need a little life experience to do that. You know, I also think one of the big things, we were talking about this before, Mark, is you have to have overcome some things in life before you figure out who you really are. Yes. Well, even Think and Grow Rich, the, the 1937 classic, Napoleon Hill says, most people don't figure out what they want to be with their in their lives until their 50s or 60s, because you got to go through this experience in your 20s, 30s, and 40s and figure out what you want to do with your life. I it, That's my favorite business book of all time. It's very funny that you would raise that. You know, it's kind of been rediscovered, but it was given to me when I was very young by Tom Monahan. And I remember at the time thinking, Jesus, are you kidding me? And I read the book and I couldn't put it down. And I thought, wow, this is, this is explaining not only kind of where I need to go, but in some ways where I've been. My, my favorite story from that book is the story of three feet from gold. And that is the catalyst for me getting up every day. What if I quit today and tomorrow I land that big client. And if you don't know the story, basically what happens, they, they discover gold and this guy's borrowed and begged and got all kinds of money and he got all the equipment and he dug and he hit a vein and, and then the vein, well, 
it broke because there's there's faults in the, in the earth. And he tried to dig and dig and dig, couldn't find the vein. And he gave up, sold all the stuff to a junk dealer, went back to the East Coast. And then a junk dealer called a uh, a specialist who knew about faults, found the vein, and had he would it was three feet away. And I, I don't want to ever be, wow, I quit, and now the gold is showing up. So that's a very powerful story for me. Yeah, I liked it too. My favorite part of the book is the Mastermind Alliance. And what I've yes. really been grateful for in my life is I've had really three mentors who we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, you go out of your way to get a mentor. I think a lot of young people don't get that. They're not just going to find you. You have to go find them. You have to knock on some doors. You have to say, how can I help you? Would you like fries with that? I'm here to, <laughs> I'm here to just learn from you. And I think it makes a big difference. I like um, Robert Greene's book, Mastery. I make young people read it because I think that that's sort of the key to success is developing competencies you know, uh, taking advantage of opportunities. Money comes later, right? When you're young, you've got to get your chops down. Yep, 100%. So let's talk about creativity and innovation. One of my favorite companies, as I I know you're a big fan of, is Apple. Um, I just recently watched their their April 2021 keynote. The only thing I miss about Apple now is the Johnny Ive videos where they would do the voiceovers for the iPhones. I mean, Johnny could sell snow to Eskimos and call it the ice snow, and he'd go, you know, different angles of the snow and stuff like that. I do miss that, but I, I really like how Apple continues to innovate. I mean, now they have AirTags. Finally, AirTags came out, which I think is really cool because you can put them on your keys or your purse or your backpack. And I really like the direction they're going. I've never been to the spaceship, but it's really easy to find. Because if you just ask Siri, where's where's Apple Circle or whatever they call it, the Apple, they, I'm sure if she has Apple Spaceship, she probably have no clue what you're talking about. But it looks like this big O if you look at it on Apple Maps, like right there, like a, a spaceship landed. So let's talk a little bit about creativity, innovation, and what Apple's doing right specifically. Well, you know, I go way back with Apple. So I was an advisor two different times at Apple. One, when I'm an extremely young man. And I'm working on um, a a group called IMDC at the University of Wisconsin. I'm a doctoral student. And this is when the first time Jobs is getting pushed out. And there's something at uh, uh, Apple called AIS. And this is 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 aging me. But before there was was a time, boys and girls, before there was an internet. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) And AIS stood for Applied Integrated Systems. And what Apple did was I got brought in and we ended up making a... um, a video when Scully came in called Apple Knowledge Navigator. You can still find it online. And, and it'll be really cute because it's a junior professor who's got this thing. And, and everybody watches it now, looks and goes, this is unremarkable because he's got an iPad and he's using the web. And then you realize this is 20, 25 years before any of that happens, right? So, you know, and I'm not the only one. There's a whole bunch, you know, Doug Leonard who goes on to create Psyche and Alan Kay who built the back. There's a whole bunch of us on this advisory group. Um, Bob Reich, you know, goes on to be the kind of uh, Secretary of Labor, but very the progressive guy, John Nesbitt, some other guys. And I'm, I'm the baby of the group. But what was interesting was Apple could not make enough software to compete with uh, Microsoft. So what it did was it created a uh, an internal system, an AIS system, which it called AppleNet. And it put the uh, code, compiler code out. And it's and it gave it to value-added resellers who had to sign a deal, but they, they had to create software. And this is where Tom Perkins and Kleiner Perkins gets involved, where they're underwriting this. So when Jobs comes back, <clears throat> he starts building an ecosystem, 
And AppleNet becomes another company called Connect, which is an in-between thing. And then, of course, it becomes what we now know as the sort of the grandfather of iTunes. And what was interesting about this is a lot of what Apple does today has very strong roots and a clear narrative arc to things that happened really in the early 80s. And it's very hard for people to get their mind around this, right? It's very hard to see that, you know, what Jobs was trying to do when he came back, why he basically went with the with the colored Macs that basically were the same as the beige Macs, how he's trying to create sort of an artistic feel for this, how he's sort of building out the iPod, the iPad, the iPhone, and what he's building to. And what people, I think, get wrong about innovation is they think innovation is all this home run stuff. It's not. It's money ball. It's moving runners around. <laughs> it's it's trying stuff. And one of the things that I'm I am actually concerned about with Apple, I think the tech giants are all playing very similar games right now. They're playing for platforms, right? Look at what's going on at uh, you know. Look at what's going on at uh, at Amazon for sure, and of course Microsoft and their ten billion dollar buy or, or at least a, a temp for Discord this week or past week. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of playing for the ecosystem, if you will. So what's happened, in my opinion, is a lot of these great startup companies that became these tech giants are now the General Motors of today, right? They really are kind of where we were in 1960 with the big three, you know, and they're all the Fang companies now. And my belief system is that's not the future of innovation. My belief system is COVID nineteen showed us the reality of things. So let me let me unwind this for you. Is this uh, can we take a moment and do that, Mark? Oh, absolutely. Talk about where innovation is going. Yeah. So think about this for a minute. Think about our government. Think about the military, the universities. We're all at whatever. They they are hierarchical systems that try and control things through processes, planning, and penalties. And what happens is we had an event that fell outside of them, and by any objective standard, we failed miserably. Catastrophe. Right. We have the same amount of we have four percent of the world's population, 28 percent of all the deaths. Right. We're on par with Mexico, Brazil, India. This was a this was a complete and utter failure. It doesn't matter what party you belong to or what your political ethos is. Right. By any objective standard, we failed at the same time. Five hundred and ninety five what are called creativity clusters started to emerge. Just people like us. Right. You and I. And what happened was they started to get together. And they knew each other from church or college or they worked to, you know, work out together, whatever it is. And there were 116 shots on goal for phase one trials, right? And the CDC has a whole thing on this. Out of that came 54 that, that made it all the way through phase one to phase two. From phase two, we've had nine that have made it through into phase three and, and provisional. And we're seeing four, two were taken off for a while and they're back now because of the there's some minor, very minor issues with this. But here's what's important to get about this. The amount of time it takes for drug discovery for a new vaccine is about 10 years. We did it in 10 months. Mm. This is so American. This is such an American way of doing things. 595. It looks like chaos, doesn't it? It looks like the valley in the old days. <laughs> Look, right. It looks like Ann Arbor, where I live, which has more VC per person than any city in the country, right? It, it looks like chaos. But as you keep, you talk about persistence, you're three feet from gold, right? Acres of diamonds. I mean, that whole sort of parable. Grinding, grinding, grinding. And the next, you know, 10 months, we now have three radically different approaches to a vaccine. Now, can you imagine the FDA trying to put this genie back in the bottle? 
It's never going to happen again. Never. So my view is what happened with COVID shows you kind of the old world order. And it shows you how, in fact, creativity actually works and innovation actually works at work. And I think you're starting to see this in all kinds of places. Did, did anybody plan on Zoom? <laughs> right? Go, go down the road on this. You know, think about what their value is. It's, in, it's insane from where it was a year ago. So this becomes, this becomes, I think, the parable for our time of what we're looking at. Hey there, it's Mark, and I want to invite you to become a Mark Stucheski Insider and get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs absolutely free. It all happens over at MrProductivity.com. I, I love that. And, you know, one of the things I, I, you know, a lot of people gave Apple a hard time about is last year with the iPhone 11, 5G wasn't available. And People say, oh, man, Apple made a big mistake. But here's the thing. You can have a 5G phone, but if you don't have 5G network, it does, a 5G phone is worthless. Now they waited a year. Well, I'm saying a year. It's April when they released the phones in the fall for iPhone 12. Now they have 5G. There's a lot more between Verizon and T-Mobile and all the other carriers. Now you have the networks. Okay. Got to have the networks. Otherwise, your phone is, is pointless. Because a lot of people got 5G on, another, on a non-iPhone. They couldn't use it because maybe they yeah, live I, in the area. I, I, I see that as sort of the, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be contrarian here, but I see that as sort of the last hurrah of the current phase or epoch that we're in. Mm -hmm. You know, where the future is, I think, for Apple, and I think Apple knows this, right? I don't have any inside track on this, is, is medical. And I think uh, the future is wearables. Yes. I mean, the notion, the challenge that Apple has is the same problem that we have with smart cities and cars. The same problem Tesla's going to have. It's an infrastructure thing. It's not the technology of the car. It's the city itself. And this is where Bosch or G or somebody's going to make their next zillion dollars. Um, it, the, the Apple problem is they can generate all this data and wearables, but are, is our medical system prepared to handle this? You know, so you think about this. Is there something that could be on, you know, grandma's watch that uh, if she falls down or her temperature goes to a certain thing, you know, just, and even now you could do that. If you think about it for a minute, if you have an alarm in your house, you know, if you have a, if you have the ability to see if there's a motion detector in your house, you could tell if grandma's okay or not. Right. But I think this is where we're all going. I think it's going to be, um, if you look at what mRNA has done, how this vaccine was created, we're going to see incredible breakthroughs in cancer research. And we're going to see what technology does with places like Apple connect with what happens with cancer research, and all of a sudden, it's going to seem, uh, it's in one sense, it's going to be a miracle. In the other sense, it's going to be incredibly overwhelming because none of the infrastructure and none of our laws, our morals, nothing is designed for what we're looking at in the very near future. What's interesting is I have an Apple Watch, and it's got a fall detector on there. And I remember once I was watching, I think, a football game. And, of course, a play happened that I didn't like. And I stood up real quick, and I sat back down. And the Apple Watch says, did you fall? Are you okay? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. Because you don't realize it's it doesn't say anything until it detects danger. Now it's got low heart rate. It's got if your heart rate goes too high. And I think I think you're right. I think wearables is the way it is. I mean, if I had a choice. If they say, what's one piece of technology that you couldn't live with? Now, I can't do interviews on, we're using a software called Zencast, so I can't use it on my phone. But I like my iPhone because my iPhone, I can take video, pictures, I can go on conference calls, I can email, I can text. It's like these phones are 
like many offices and I, I was born in 1965. So I didn't see my first computer in school until seniors high school, 82, 83. And that was the big thing. You got to go to computer lab. Now you're born and given an iPad and iPhone. And so I I've seen not, I, I don't know the very beginning, but I've seen a lot of innovation, and creativity, and I'm always excited whenever Apple like for, does another keynote. I'm like, what are they going to reveal? And of course, I follow all the blogs and all that stuff as well. And I like to see how it's constantly moving. But to your point, the technology, I think, is reaching its final end point. Like the new iMacs are 11.5 millimeters thick. I'm like, what? I remember the big, you know, the monitor used to be this big hunking block on your desk. Now the whole computer is 11.5 millimeters thick. I mean, I can't get my mind around that, but I don't know how much further they can push it other than make it invisible. I don't know. Well, I, I actually think you're making the point I'm, I'm trying to make, which is the the age of toys is ending. Yeah. And all you have to do is look at, you know, Huawei or the reverse engineering. I mean, you can reverse engineer an F-35. I mean, so certainly you can reverse engineer a candy bar you put in your pocket that's got some digits on it, right? <laughs> and if you look at where the phone is made by, you know, by Foxconn and Invitec and all the other kind of places that make the phone, you know, this is this is very quickly becoming a commodity. And what makes the Apple very unique, of course, is that it's a design thing, but what makes it more special? And this is what the big tech giants get is the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So the real issue is, and now people are going to say, well, you know, big date, big, big, Tech has our data. Like they've had your data since the eighties. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you know every time you make a you know a packet switch goes off somewhere, you know we know we know where you're at, um, and you know the, the the fact that you've just become aware of this is kind of interesting. And of course, the other part is the the fact that the bad guys can get this. Remember, you know, Mark, innovation doesn't start in nice places. It starts where where small groups cannot compete on scope or scale. That's what makes you know uh, terrorist cells so dangerous. It, you know, think about where cryptocurrency started. It was drug cartels. It was money laundering. Mm-hmm. It still is. Think about, you know, what goes on through, you know, recently what we, what we have caught on to in Estonia, right? Think about where emojis came from. You know, these cells in the Middle East, right, originally, because they couldn't be picked up on content analysis. Of course, do we have to go into streaming where that came from? I oh mean, it's all pretty obvious. And the reason these things come up this way is they, they, they're not defending. If you're the, if you're the incumbent, you have to defend. That's the challenge, right? But if you're the startup, all you have to do, it's like, you know, it's like the Great Wall. You just have to break through in one place and then you can, you know, then it's all over. So so I think the the real challenge of all this is the innovations that are going to start emerging outside of these ecosystems and how, in fact, that's going to work. And I think that's kind of the next play. Yeah, I, I agree with you because now everyone's going toward services now, even Apple. I mean, yeah, they have the iPhones and the iPads and the iMacs, but they have Apple Music, they have podcasts, they've got the Arcade, Arcade Apple TV Plus, you know, that because that's where it's going to go. Because, you know, how much more can an iPhone do? I mean, you, you're right on it. Start looking at where Apple actually makes its revenue, right? <laughs> Even more so. Look at Amazon, AWS. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's the category killer. It's not the stuff you're buying. I'm sorry. It's the yep. category killer. It's AWS. A lot of and now they're going back that. into logistics management. Yep. Well, the same thing is true for platforms on like Microsoft and so on and so forth. So, you know, this is not a but but this is not a new play. I just I need everybody to get this. This is a very old play. You know, when we built Domino's, one of the things people didn't get 
Where'd the money come from? It came from the distribution outlet. It came from, you know, buying, you know, a, a, you know millions and millions of pounds of black mozzarella cheese and then selling it to franchisees. That's kind of the model that we're starting to see. And I think what's happening is is way late in the game. People are starting to kind of catch on to this. The problem whenever you vertically integrate like that is that um, it's relatively predictable where you're going. Look at what the Chinese are doing with Baidu and Tencent, et cetera. They're weaponizing their tech sector, which is very... Americans ought to be extremely alarmed about this. This is a very dangerous thing that's happening. And, um, but it also makes it incredibly predictable, now, which I wanna, is, I think, to our advantage, right? I, I want to go back to Domino's because you said you helped cre- build it. So what was the – take us back to when you – what problem were you trying to solve back then? Well, this is a funny story. I'm In 1984, I think I come out with my doctorate, and um, I turned down a position at Princeton to take a position at the University of Michigan in the medical school. And I got there and I thought, and I got there and I went through orientation. And I, just like you're, you're talking earlier about your dentist friend, I went, oh, I, I don't think I fit here. I don't think this is what I want to do. <laughs> My area was what's called cognitive inquiry strategies, which means in the early days of artificial intelligence, how to, how to model how a person makes uh makes an inquiry into a problem. Creative thinking is what it basically comes down to. How to teach a computer how to think, right? And so um, I met a guy who passed away. He's no longer with us named Bob Duha. And uh, I met him and his good friend, Mike Gordon, who I just love these guys. I met him at a hippie bar, right, <laughs> of all places. It's Ann Arbor, right? And they said, well, we're working for this guy. He had a $20 million pizza company. We got it to $80 million or about now. And we were trying to do all this cool stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I don't like where I'm at. You know, I don't think this is going to be good. So I said no to the Michigan thing. So it's funny that, you know, because when I did this, they told me, because I was really young, about 25, they said, you'll never work here again. Of course, that turned out to be completely untrue. <laughs> but but um, very shortly, I ended up working for Monhan. And my job was everything that no one else knew how to do. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if that makes any sense to you. So I'm the vice president. That's where I originally got my name, the Dean of Innovation. Because I'm a kid. I'm a stupid kid. Everyone else is trying to figure out how to do things. So what did I do? Let me give you three things I did that will crack you up. Um, number one, I went to Apple. This is how I met Apple uh, the second time. And said, can we build a, dis- a, a distributed data processing system, which now seems sort of quaint, but in 1984, 85 was radical. And this became the basis of the team member workbench. And if you ever read the book, The Domino Effect, and you look in it, you'll see something that looks exactly like Facebook, only it happens in 1985. And it looks we use bubblegum cards. Oh, the wow. metaphor was bubblegum cards. Two, um, we built a mobile satellite, <laughs> satellite network with trucks. How do we do it? Because... Tom Monhan's a uh, devout Catholic. I'm Catholic too. And um, he wanted to cover the Pope. So the Pope came in 86. And so we had to figure out. So I'm a kid. And then the, the, the that eventually was sold. It became part of a network called Pass, which was sold to ESPN, right? So, this, so you're kind of, you're kind of, you know, when you muck around in the beginning, it eventually grows up and becomes something. Mm-hmm. But the most interesting one was a meta guy who had been in a terrible crash who had been the chief design engineer at General Motors, and he had been forgotten. His name was Harley Selling, and I really liked this guy. And he came to me, and he was very formal. He wore a suit and tie every day. You know, here we are, Domino's creating this kind of company. We're all kids. And he's like a billion years older than we are. And the first time I talked to him, I just thought, I got to hire you. I don't know why. 
And I hired him and he said, you know what you need to build here? You need to build commissaries with robots. And I said, yeah, we need to build commissaries with robots. And so we went through about a year and a half of just complete mass disaster. And then around just before I left the company, all of a sudden the commissaries started making the, you know, because the, the dough's made in the store. Yeah, the, they, you know, they roll out the door in the store. But all the, all the things that would be done, like in a car plant with robotics, was done in these commissaries. And this guy was, was brilliant. He, he's gone too. He passed away as well. But what was wonderful for me, Mark, I was a kid and I worked for a guy who said, hey, I want to do a real cool thing. Do you know how to do that? And I'd be like, no, but that sounds like a really fun thing to figure out. <laughs> and so by the time, the way I got to Michigan was a professor came to write a book about kind of how we had done some of this stuff. In fact, <laughs> this is sad to say she passed away too. But but the point was they, they wrote about how did we build a company that grew almost 300% a year for five years? How did a company with a bunch of people who really had no experience really take PepsiCo and Pizza Hut and all the Harvard MBAs out behind the woodshed and sort of show, you know, sh- show them how to do it. And, and it, it wasn't because we were so smart and we weren't better than they were. They're really smart people too. And they're good people too. It's just that we were young and didn't know. And we tried stuff. Hey, I now have an affiliate program where you can earn up to 30% commission just referring people to my paid program. To find out more, go to mrproductivity.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the link. That's, that's, that's amazing. And I got a feeling that I could talk to you for hours and hours about this stuff because it's very exciting. But what I want to do now is I want to shift over to something I call Mike Swap where I give you an opportunity to ask me one to two questions. And I have no idea what you're going to ask me. Just don't ask me for my credit card or social security number, but anything else is on the table. It's my podcast. If I don't know, I'll just say, I don't know. So I'm giving you the microphone and you feel free to ask me the questions you want to ask. Okay, Mark, name a book that you've read that changed your life. Wow. A lot of books have changed my life, but one that comes to mind right now, because I'm actually re-listening to it again on Audible, I've already listened to the book twice and read it once, is Kel Newport's Deep Work. Um, I am realizing as I'm 55 years young and I want to contribute more to our world, I we need to get away from technology and all of the distractions, and we need to focus on getting this stuff done. Too many people are, you know, they're trying to write a blog post, write a book, whatever case may be. And they're checking Facebook, they're checking Instagram, they're checking Twitter. You got to spend time in deep work. And so I, I love uh, everything Kel Newport's ever written. He's a classic guy. Okay. My institution, the prestigious university of Michigan calls you and says, we want you to teach a 14 week course. What are you going to teach about? I'm going to teach on how to be truly more productive. A lot of people think they're productive. And if everyone was productive, I wouldn't have a job. People come to me and they go, well, I only need a little help. And we start diving in and we find out that they've got a lot of problems. The good thing I like about my job is no two clients are ever the same ever. Everybody's got different baggage and all that good stuff. But I, I'm really passionate about teaching people productivity. And contrary to what most people think, when you want to be more productive, it doesn't start about it doesn't start with planning or an app or a tool like an iPhone. There's several things you have to do before that, which I didn't realize when I first became in the 
uh, the field of productivity. I truly thought that, oh, teach them about productivity, just teach people how to use a calendar and maybe a to-do list. More was I naive back then, and but I learned, and now I know that there's a lot more to productivity because productivity is a ginormous umbrella. So my final answer, without phoning a friend, for those of you who know that reference, <laughs> I will say teach a 14 week course on how to truly be productive. What's the best mistake you ever made? The best mistake ever made. Oh my gosh, which one do I pick? <laughs> best mistake. I I think. Best mistake, um, I, I think, was trying to go too fast, uh, especially with my podcast. I was trying to, you know, listen to everybody telling me, "Oh, do this, don't do this. Oh, you got to do this. Check this out." And I, I didn't listen to them. Like, for example, they say, "Don't call your show the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. No one can spell your last name. They're never going to find it." But my brand is Mark Stuchesky. I'm Mark Stuchesky everywhere. And so I call it the Mark Stuchesky podcast. They don't tell me that anymore because they have over 800 episodes. And I wanted to be true to me. So having people mentor you or coach you is fine. Just remember that you are the person in control. And you could take or leave their information. But I would have to say that would be one of my best mistakes. Now, you can go back in history and you can't talk to anybody famous or a deceased family member. But you can talk to somebody in a trade or profession in any period of time. Who do you want to talk to? Not famous um, or a family member. Huh. Wow, that's a, that's a really thought-provoking because you put a lot of restrictions on there. I think I would like to go back and talk to the person who, I don't know who it was, who, create, who gets credited for creating the internet. I don't know the guy's name. Um, somebody had to put it all together and create this thing we call the internet. Now I would like to talk to him and find out, you know, what they were thinking when they created that. Okay. Like Tim Berners Lee or somebody worked for him, right? Somebody like that. Okay. Right. All right. Final, final question. Um, if you could change careers today, right. And, and you, ha it has to be based on some real, skills that you have, what would you be doing tomorrow? I would probably become an author. I would become a writer. I, I, I sell published a couple of books, but they weren't like really, like really writing a book. I would like to write a book properly. Um, but that's an undertaking. I've talked to people, you're an author. You just don't like whip out a book in an hour. It's, it's a lot of work to do it. And my hat goes off to people who have actually written books, but I, if I couldn't do what I'm doing now, I'd like to be an author. Oh, good. Good. I think we're good. All right. I think we're good. I hope your listeners, uh, uh, buy the creative mindset. My, my latest book, they can go to jeffdegraff.com. I, I write a new piece every week. Okay. And there's hundreds of pieces on there. And you can see I've been a uh, consultant over half of all the Fortune 500 companies. So a lot of stories, a lot of things on there. And it's all free. No one will ever bother you. Mark, well, thanks for having me on. Well, before I let you go, I got to ask you one return question. What is a, a good book that you've read recently, other than your own, that you think my listeners should listen to read? Well, I'm not sure what your listeners want to listen to. I can tell you what I like to do. I like to I like to be I like to go into very deep water. 
So I'm, I'm rereading Richard Tarnas's book, The Passion of the Western Mind. I like to know where ideas come from and how they go together. And I'm, I'm, I'm very tired of living in a world where people who really don't know things <laughs> seem to be all over the net in the web, giving other people advice. I love what Charlie Munger said the other day. There's all these people advising you how to be millionaires who've never made any money. Right? <laughs> um, and, uh, I, think, I think, yeah. So I'm kind of very interested in where ideas come from and why we have these ideas. And particularly, I think sometimes um, in, modern, in the modern world, we forget our, our traditions, where we come from. Well, I appreciate you. You gave us one, two, at least two book items, and uh, I wrote them down because I'm always looking for new books to read. And I don't like going to reviews. I like to talk to people like you to give me my next book fix, because if you recommend it, obviously it's something I should read. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on the show. Mark, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really hope it served you well today. Now head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Sign up to be a free Mark Stuchowski insider. Get my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. Absolutely free. It's my gift to you. And until tomorrow, my friend, go be productive.